There are many lessons to learn from the 2021 False Claims Act settlements. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Today, I'm going to be discussing the 2021 fiscal year settlements under the False Claims Act that the Department of Justice announced. So there's a lot here. They recovered $5.6 billion. That's with a B. $5.6 billion in fiscal year 2021. And that's the second largest amount that the government has recovered uh, since the inception of the False Claims Act, especially since 1986 when the QUITAM provisions uh, applied to the False Claims Act. Now, what's important to the listeners of Stark Integrity is that 90% of what was recovered, or $5 billion, related to matters that involve the healthcare industry, which means 90% of the dollars collected under the False Claims Act related to healthcare. The other uh, 10% relates to higher education, uh, the military, and other government contracts. But it, it's important to note that the False Claims Act is the largest weapon that the government uses with respect to health care, and I'm going to use air quotes again, fraud. And I'm going to go through a lot of these settlements, and I do want to emphasize that most of these are settlements and not judgments, and I've emphasized that several times on Stark Integrity. Uh, but a lot of these uh, settlements, uh, I'm going to go through the facts of those settlements. And so the listeners, we can actually understand some of the things that not only is the government concerned about, but also the QUITAM bar is concerned about. And even though it's not directly related to your specific healthcare sector, uh, a lot of these issues that are being reported cover multiple healthcare sectors. So if you are from a hospital, by way of example, and I am going through an issue that's uh, related to a drug manufacturer or a home health agency, a lot of these fraud issues that are being settled under the False Claims Act actually apply to all healthcare providers. So don't just think, oh, well, that's home care and I'm a hospital, so therefore it doesn't apply to me because these issues do generally apply when the government is focusing on, on fraud-related issues. And before I get into the specifics, just to emphasize that about 30% of the overall claims, or $1.6 billion, was settled with respect to QUITAM cases. So like I referenced in 1986, 
the False Claims Act was strengthened to apply the QUITAM provisions where a normal citizen can bring an action, a QUITAM action, and I've covered QUITAM cases in previous Stark Integrity episodes, but uh, an individual can bring a claim on behalf of the government, and then that individual can receive between 15% and 30% of what the government collects uh, based upon that QUITAM lawsuit. Not only is the False Claims Act a good weapon, but a sub-weapon within the False Claims Act is the empowerment of individuals to bring actions on behalf of the government through the QUITAM cases. So now I'm going to go through some of the broad categories. So the first one is the opioid epidemic. Uh, the largest false claim settlement was involved within the opioid epidemic enforcement and primarily with the opioid manufacturers. So in one settlement, there was a $600 million global settlement that related to companies that, among other things, promoted opioid addiction treatment drugs to physicians who were writing prescriptions that were not for a medically accepted indication uh, for the opioid or were otherwise diverted. And then Purdue, uh, they settled for $2.8 billion. And the allegation there, and again, these are all allegations, but the allegations were that Purdue was promoting its opioid drugs to healthcare providers where allegedly they knew that the physicians were prescribing opioids for uses that were unsafe, ineffective, and medically unnecessary, and that often led to abuse and opioid diversion. Again, those are all the allegations as expressed by the Department of Justice. The next category relates to the Medicare Advantage Program. So this is Medicare Part C. And for those of you who are not familiar with Medicare Advantage or Medicare Part C, basically the government pays a capitated amount to private health insurers uh, for the patients that are enrolled in their plans. And then CMS adjusts the payment based upon various risk factors of the insured pool by these private health insurers. So this is Medicare Advantage, uh, so Medicare Part C. And here, the Department of Justice pursued plans that, at least the allegation goes, that the providers manipulated the risk adjustment process by submitting unsupported diagnosis codes to make their patients appear sicker than what they actually were. And so in one case, and this is Sutter Health, so uh, this is a healthcare organization that managed a Medicare Part C or Medicare Advantage program. So Sutter Health, headquartered in California, they paid $90 million to resolve allegations that it knowingly submitted unsupported diagnosis codes for certain patient encounters resulted in inflated payments that were made to the Medicare Advantage plans and to Sutter Health. And then also the Kaiser Health, Found, Health Plan of Washington, they paid back $6.3 million to resolve allegations that the plan submitted invalid diagnosis and re and received inflated payments. So this is the inflated risk adjustment payments that were allegedly made by these Medicare Advantage plans in order to receive more money 
from the federal government. So a lot of times when I get into a stark law self-report, one of the issues is, are, is Medicare Advantage a federally funded program? And since Medicare is Medicare Part C, it is federally funded and, as these allegations go, could potentially be manipulated based upon the risk adjustment if the plan is providing information or documentation that their patient pool is actually sicker uh, than what they actually are. And that's to receive greater capitated payments from the uh, Medicare program or from CMS. So the next category is unlawful kickbacks. So kickbacks, uh, especially under the anti-kickback statute, are still a prime area for resolution under the False Claims Act. And there were a few here of note. One is Avira Medical LLC. Uh, they agreed to pay back $160 million to settle allegations that it paid kickbacks to Medicare beneficiaries. So this is to, directly to Medicare beneficiaries, not to a physician. So they paid kickbacks to Medicare beneficiaries by providing free or no-cost glucose readers and by routinely waiving or not making reasonable efforts to collect co-payments from patients. So this is the point for all providers is with respect to providing free items, you'll need to analyze the provision of those free items to ensure that they're compliant with the anti-kickback statute. But the secondary point in this settlement is with respect to making reasonable collection efforts for co-payments on behalf of patients. Because if you do not exert reasonable collection efforts to collect those co-pays, that could be deemed to be a kickback under the anti-kickback statute. And in another case, a laboratory ended up paying back $140 million for financially inducing, at least these are the allegations, financially inducing referral sources of drug urine tests. Now, what's interesting in this one, and I'll get to personal liability later, but also Daniel McCollum, uh, who was the owner and operator of this laboratory, also paid back $9 million in that settlement. The next one relates to free trips. And actually, this is not a direct healthcare provider, but it was an electronic health records company. So Althena Health paid back $18.25 million to resolve allegations that invited customers or and also prospective customers to uh, participate in lavish, all-expense-paid sporting, entertainment, and recreational events in order to generate business for the purchase of their electronic health records. So for all providers out there, we have to be very careful about offering any type of free entertainment to referral sources. And then there was just the various laundry lists of other types of providers that settled uh, in 2021. Uh, so there were psychiatric hospitals, a substance abuse treatment facility, home health agencies, a couple of hospitals, uh, Akron General, uh, Texas Heart Hospital of the Southwest, as well as Prime Healthcare Services. There are also pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies, as well as diagnostic testing and other medical devices. So those were all in the category of unnecessary or unlawful kickbacks. So next one would be unnecessary medical services. And here, these are for medically unnecessary services or services that were not rendered. So the first one is Sava Senior Care LLC. They paid back $11.2 million 
for allegedly providing uh, rehabilitation therapy services as a result of aggressive corporate targets without regard to the patient's actual clinical needs. And so the settlement resolve allegations that this entity grossly and materially provided substandard and or worthless skilled nursing services, all driven by a corporate target uh, for those type of services. So you have to be careful about establishing targets. Targets are okay per se, but you also have to validate the targets to make sure that the services that are being targeted are documented to be medically necessary and clinically indicated for those patients. So next we have Alir Inc. They paid back $38.75 million to resolve allegations that they billed for defective rapid point-of-care testing devices used by Medicare beneficiaries. Then we also have a DME company, Apria Healthcare. They paid back $40.5 million to resolve allegation about the rental of costly non-invasive ventilators to Medicare beneficiaries who did not need the devices or were not using uh, the devices. Then we also had Regency Inc. and its owner agreed to pay back $20.3 million to resolve allegations that they billed the federal health care program for medically unnecessary DME services. So again, document the medical reason for the provision of services, whether they are durable medical equipment, therapy services, or direct patient care services. Making the list for 2021 is also COVID-related fraud, and I'm sure we're going to see this in 2022 and 2023. Primarily under the False Claims Act, the government collected money from entities that participated in the COVID Paycheck Protection Program, otherwise known as PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program. And basically the allegation was that entities were applying for and received multiple PPP loans when they should have only received a single PPP loan. Now, I said at the beginning that I was going to emphasize individual liability under the False Claims Act, and in 2021, we had a few. Uh, so first off, we had a cardiologist in Orlando, Florida. His name is Dr. Pal, P-A-L. Uh, so he paid back $6.75 million dollars to resolve allegations that he performed medically unnecessary vein stent procedures. And part of the allegation was that these uh, stent procedures performed on patients uh, were for treatments that were not accepted under standards of medical practice and also that the patient medical records were falsified in order to justify the performance of those procedures. Uh, so in effect, that we had stent procedures that were being performed allegedly by this cardiologist that were not medically necessary. And then in the medical records, allegedly the physician documented the medical records to support the performance of these vein procedures. So that's an individual with $6.75 million in repayment. Next, we have two physicians. Uh, these are two Texas physicians, Drs. Robert Wills and Brannon Frank. They paid $3.9 million to resolve allegations that they billed 
the Medicare program for medically unnecessary urine drug testing. And part of this allegation was that the urine drug testing was being performed without any individualized assessments of the clinical need for the urine drug testing. So again, two doctors paid back $3.9 million under the False Claims Act. And next, under individual responsibility for the payment of fine and penalties under the False Claims Act is a chemical dependency treatment center known as Addiction Care Interventions, otherwise ACI, so Addiction Care Interventions. And the CEO was a Stephen Yohei, spelling a last name is Y-O-H-A-Y, so Stephen Yohei. And the United States alleged that ACI offered food and cash to homeless individuals to induce them to enroll in ACI's inpatient treatment program and also offered sham employment to individuals to induce their referrals of patients to the ACI programs and use medical admission forms containing photocopied physician signatures to make it appear that these new patients had been evaluated by a qualified healthcare professional. So we have a lot going on here. Free food and cash to homeless individuals, offering sham employments to individuals, uh, referral sources to induce their referrals, and then also using pre-printed forms with a physician's signature to make it look like the physician evaluated the individual for chemical dependency treatment. Now, ACI as the entity paid back $3 million, but Stephen Yohei, the CEO of ACI, paid back $3 million. So in, in this case, we had a cardiologist paying back $6.75 million, two doctors, Texas doctors, paid $3.9 million, and a CEO of this chemical dependency treatment center paid back $3 million. And then just to emphasize, like I said at the beginning of this episode of Stark Integrity, that the number of QUITAM cases continue to increase. In 2021, $1.6 billion was repaid under the False Claims Act under QUITAM cases. And in 2021, 598 QUITAM suits were filed. So that's an average of 11 new QUITAM cases per week. So get that, uh, 11 new QUITAM cases filed per week. So in 2021, it was 598. So uh, with respect to QUITAM cases, they're still on the rise, and they still do represent the large percentage of the overall settlements under the False Claims Act. So now it's time for the three Captain Integrity Punch Points for the False Claims Act settlements for 2021. The first one is, punch point number one, is the QUITAM weapon under the False Claims Act is still a very large tool to be used by the Department of Justice. Captain Integrity punch point number two is health care is the largest source of false claims recovery uh, for the government. Uh, so, as I indicated previously in this episode, 90% of what the government collected in 2021 was related to health care. So, it was $5 billion out of $5.6 billion. And Captain Integrity Punch Point number three 
is that personal liability continues to rise under the False Claims Act. As I indicated in this episode, we had several individuals who ended up paying personally, so not corporately, personally for settlements under the False Claims Act. So if any one of your clients asks you, is there personal accountability under the False Claims Act or can I hide under the corporate veil, uh, you can tell them that there is definitely personal liability that has been attached to various recent False Claims Act settlements. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.